0: Dear Hola Misha, Cole Bavinia, Natur Gavinia, and Eden Chinna. A live dinner, er willa. Ah, yeah, like music. I like
1: well, music. music. I like music. music. I like music. I know, and the anvil, I'd never tell him to stop. I, I'd make the anvil make him stop. Could you do it there now?
0: Now, John, could you just tell us what you were doing there exactly? <laughs> well, he's making music. <laughs>
2: No, we're drawing out a piece of iron. The horse will go a bit close on one side, so we're turning them right out on one side. Okay. And let's see quarter by half iron, so it takes a bit of legend to draw it out.
3: Uh, I'm Martin Cushion and uh, I... I'm a, left, I'm a West Limerick man. So I, I, when I came back here to Muckles House, which is about six or seven or eight years ago, um, I cut down the old craft work that we were used to long ago. That was welding on the fire and all that class. So we had no welder at the time. Now we have got a welder, all right. But um, I do a lot of stuff in the fire yet, as was done in the old days. So the, the smith, of the old days were looked up to as well, they were looked up to by the people. They were the only men in the vicinity of the, for the parish, and they were looked up to and they were to make all those stuff for the farmers and for the farmers' wives, men in pots and handling kettles, and great favourite with the housewife.
4: My name is Ben Reuther, and how I come to do this job, I worked for a farmer in my young days. And he had 12 cows to make night and morning, Sunday, Monday, Christmas Day, every day. And all the other lads had jobs that they were Saturday and Sunday off, or half-day Saturday and Sunday. And I thought, this is no life for me, so... That's how I come to start at way back in 1938. And I'm here ever since. <laughs> Powers got owned it at that time, but we had to rent it. Rented. And then Powerscott sold out his property. And he sold all those houses in the village and all included to whoever had them rented. That's how I come down with the boat, yeah. What do you want? Um, full set, please. Full set?
0: Bellows, they're still using... Still the men? old bellows, yes. What age is that now?
4: The bellows. Well, I suppose it's about 25 years of age, that bellows, yeah. Purely. Very scarce now, those two. Very
0: hard to get them. But could you tell us what you're doing now, Ben?
4: I'm fitting, going to fit the shoes on the horse. Heating the You have to get a good heat up first. Get a good heat level them into the feet. There's two types of shoeing. there's hot. This is what we call hot shoeing. cold shoeing is what you do, you go to the Yards and do it out in the yards. Of that this is what they call hot shoe. The hot shoeing is more effective, is it? The hot shoeing is more effective,
1: yeah.
5: Uh, basically, the uh, difference between shoeing now and shoeing say 50 years ago is that now the farrier travels to the horse and cold shoes the horse or applies the. The, the shoe in a cold condition uh, to the foot of the horse whereas many years ago it was the normal way of shoeing was hot shoeing whereby the horse came to the farrier uh, the farrier's shop and was hot shod uh, or the shoe literally burnt onto the foot before being nailed on this ensured a perfect fit and the shoe of course was made to suit the foot rather than the other way round cold shoeing at the present time as is properly done can be every bit as effective providing it's done by a competent man and I think the emphasis must be laid on this to ensure that the man is competent uh, when he's doing cold shoeing as it requires a greater skill to, to get accuracy.
4: Well of course there's no very little making shoes now you buy all your shoes ready made you mostly, used to be, you had to make every one of them now you can go to the shop or into Ireland place and get them no bother they're in different sizes. All different sizes.
0: And you just fit them no, like like all a shop. Different weights. Different thickness. You gotta watch the sparks there. <laughs> and the red bits <laughs> flying around. <laughs>
4: This fella, he's not a small foot or he's not a big foot. He's just between. Size four and a half, as we call it, won't fit him. And five is too big for him. That's why we have to put the bit off. But you can buy the iron and steal the bars to make the shoes out of
0: them yourself well, you, if can you can make them to.
4: yourself, yeah. With those uh, young fellows training there with the board and a couple of things, they have to make them over the bar. It's, it's good the, training, anyhow. That's it's part good. of their training, making them.
2: Okay.
0: Now these are two apprentices
2: working with you here, John. What right. exactly are they doing at the moment? Uh, well, John is here. They're making a pair of front shoes. Well, John is making a pair of front shoes for a horse with a little bit of a problem. It's a horse with an avicular problem, which I suppose you may not understand, but it's a very serious thing with a horse. And Gerard is getting a pair of hind shoes ready for the horse. We're putting a stud hole in for a screw cock for show jumping. The horse is coming up for the show. And as you can see now, John is ticking up the heel of the shoe. It's a the important part quite vitally important part of the thing.
0: You always have visitors coming in. Oh, as you can yeah. see there. Good
2: morning. <laughs> yes. As you can see, being in Dublin, of course, it's a great place for passing people. Pass, see the horses and hear the ambles, and they come in and are curious. And of course, like a lucky horseshoe, as you exactly, can gather. Yes. Well, what is it like actually working so close to the centre of the city, John? Yeah, well, I think it's marvelous to think that we were able to survive in this modern time. Uh, how have you survived? Well, we've survived because we went out to the work. We went outside of Dublin looking for work. Dublin spread out over the 30 mile. We went the first 30 mile back to shoe horses. Instead of the horse coming to the forge, we took the forge to the horse. So the whole thing has changed in recent years? Oh, it has changed in recent years. The work horse has gone, and the, the hunting horses come in more powerful. The show jumpers, children's ponies, riding the schools. It's all suburban thread, really. And these lads here are... are, are as I said to you earlier on, that John is a third-year apprentice. as this and man John here. John McGuire is a Dublin man. And he's a third generation of the family. his father and his grandfather, his great-grandfather. So John has decided to take it up.
0: Yeah. John, what do you hope to do
2: later on now? Well, at the moment, I just want to get a bit more experience, you know? Feel, uh, I'm just out of my time this year. And uh, I just want to get my experience with mine, you know? He has retained his father's old fortune, Lucan. And he hopes in a couple of years' time to reopen it for himself. Yeah. So
0: there's a family tradition there. Family yeah, it goes back a while, yeah. And uh, Jerry here is from the Moy in County Tyrone, right. my own That's part okay, of the yeah. country. Jerry, what brought you along to Dublin to, to uh,
6: Well I was always interested in, in iron work and horses, so the two of them go together. I'm born in Gapelwork had enough to take me on as an apprentice. So uh, <laughs> it's it all worked out so far.
0: And will you go back to the north then?
6: Yeah, I hope so. Well, that is, is, there,
0: is there much work for a farrier in
2: the north now? Uh, yeah, at, at the minute there is a good bit. There's not so many farriers in the north.
5: Uh, my name is Brian Kavanagh. I'm employed by the Irish Horse Board, Bordnagapal as an assistant manager in control of the Farrery Apprenticeship Scheme. Uh, this Farrery Scheme has been in operation since 1971 uh, and we indenture young men uh, from around the country into the ancient craft of Farrery. We train them in modern methods of the shoeing of horses and the making of horseshoes uh, and after a three-year apprenticeship we uh, uh, qualified them and registered them with the board uh, during this apprenticeship, they have uh, intensive training courses under the board's direction and spend most of their time with many uh, of the top class master farriers throughout the country. Uh, such men uh, as Andy Mahan, uh Sonny Brennan, uh, O'Connells of Bansha, Pat
6: McDonough of Shrule. Uh, and many other uh, top farriers throughout the country. My name is Andrew Mahan from Cushington, Ashborden County Mead, in, and I am a farrier. Shoe horses all over the the country, and um, I travel. I'm one of the farriers that I think I do the most travel in in Ireland. I travel about a thousand miles a week, and I shoe every type of horses that. You could name from the workhorse, which there's very few of them now, and to the racehorse, to the yearlings, to the hunter, to the polo pony, to the show jumper, down to surgical shoeing on foals, and but I concent- I'm trying to concentrate more now to get away from the racehorse and the hunter, and I'm going to try and concentrate more on surgical shoeing, which I think there's a a great scope. For now, and I, I interested this few years down it, but now I'm really going to get into it much more than I ever
0: did. What is
6: this surgical shoeing, Andy? It's a corrective shoeing. It's, it's for a foal when foals is born with crooked legs and the conformation is not right. This is something that it's, it can be put right with the proper care, because. Our hush industry now is so valuable and animals are so expensive and the cost of producing these animals that now when people, the buyer comes from the continent or from wherever he will come, from America or wherever, he wants the best and everything must be perfect before he buys. The training methods over the years
5: have uh, changed somewhat and the length of apprenticeship has changed In years gone by, apprenticeships were as long as 12 years, uh, with many of the initial years spent on the hand bellows uh, rather than actually shoeing. In that time, uh, with general educational standards uh, having risen and uh, a more technological approach to training, uh, it has been possible to, to lessen the period of apprenticeship, although some people still feel that it should be a little longer than it is. Other changes have taken place over the years is the, the famous uh, itinerant farrier called the Journeyman uh, no longer exists. He was an interesting character in his day, travelling many, many miles, in fact travelling forge to forge all around the country, offering his services to blacksmiths and farriers on a day-to-day basis. And many fine gates and railings throughout the country were done by these, uh, these journeymen.
0: And yet, in a way, you've come back again to the travelling farrier, haven't
5: you? Indeed, uh, the the, the travelling farrier now uh, is a man who highly mobile. One such man is uh, Andy Mahan, who uh, travels up to a thousand miles a week uh, in his car. In fact, uh, I understand two cars on the road at the present time. Has a travelling forge and and literally, as he claims himself, a supermarket uh, of, of shoes so that he, he has whatever shoes are necessary to do the job, so that one could say that, in a modern idiom, that the, the journeyman has returned.
6: I run it a business. I start at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I finish, let's hope, at 6 o'clock and the evening. but this man is the time I'm called out at 8, 9 o'clock at night, maybe 10 o'clock at night, which I run it as a business, my son and myself. We go to wherever the work is, and we've all our, we make our own shoes. A lot of our own shoes. We buy some of the machine-made shoes. And we, I always carry a stock of about a hundred set of shoes with me. I've a mobile forge behind me car, and whatever we need, I have got it. You name it, I have it.
4: There's a lot of farrier work at all, well, and mostly part of it. Uh, other parts, the only small part of my is farrier work, mostly farm machinery and things like that, you know, those steel points, and road works and all this thing, you get plenty of that work.
2: Within a radius of a mile, mile and a half, I would safely say there was sunny from 15 to 20 forges. But then we had the work, the men had the work here. Every firm from here down, all the bakeries, all the people on the quays, all the carriers, undertakers, whatever you have, those horses, men. So with the result, that was plenty of work. And
0: And well, could you just tell us, John, where the forges were here now? Yes,
2: of course I could. Well, this is Mackenzie. There was two forges in Mackenzie. There was one in Bowlands Bakery, there was one in Johnston Murray O'Brien's, there was one in Ring's End, one in Shaw Street, one in Mark Street, one off Townsend Street, there was two in Peterson Lane. Now, if you crossed the river then, you went to Foley Street, there was one on Foley Street. There was one in Marlborough Place, that's off Marlborough Street. There was one in Church Street, there was one in Hill Street, there was one off of Amiens Street. Okay. Back over to Mount Street here, there was two in Ladd Lane, there was one in Stevens's Lane, there was one in Parish Court. I mean, I could keep going on and on as far as I can remember. Numerous horses in the city of Dublin. But there were horses were in the city of Dublin then at that time. This
5: is true uh, mainly because the population of horses has tended to centre naturally, I suppose, around the population of, of humans. So that with horses having become a, a leisure uh, sport in recent years, Uh, Naturally, they have centred themselves, particularly in writing schools, in the areas of human population. This has given rise to farriers being in in, in plenty supply in Dublin, Mead and Kildare areas, where the the majority of of, of population tends to reside. However, in other country areas, uh, a lot of gaps still uh, are there for need of of farriers. And to this end, the board will be recruiting uh, exclusively in, in
6: country areas this year for apprentices. When the war was over and tractors start coming on and the horses start dying out, the workhorse starting dying out, a terrible lot of forges closed down and a lot of these men, they were all very handy type of men, and they went into welding and they went into making gates and some of them went into the garage business. As many as the man in big business in garages, and if you went back on him, he'd tell you he'd done a term as a farrier. So. This is what happened and a lot of just closed down over a number of years and just a few stuck on and got it going again.
0: How many would there have been now in this area, around this part of...
6: Well, in the, Leith? when I was serving me time, I'd say there was about ten farriers there. Now, there's only two at the moment. Well, there, I have my own son and there's another man, he has two sons as well. But that's all the farriers that's in this locality. I know in County Mead is big and there's a lot more farriers out there, but not that many. Are
0: there
6: many apprentices yes. to the
0: farrier right now?
6: There is a lot of apprentices. Borna couple has done a good job in encouraging these young lads. They have provided the money and give them a, a start in life anyhow.
1: My name is Michael Bowland,
6: from where? Uh, from
1: Ruscommon. I was born in Kessery, Kessery in and Count uh, Ruscommon. And there was two blacksmiths beside us, uh, John Egan and Charlie Egan, and his father, an old man, Pat Egan. And uh, I used to win in a day in a time I going to school, blowing the bellies, So I was getting sort of fond of it. Like, um, this day John said to me, uh, "So would you like to learn the blacksmithing?" I wouldn't mind i will have to see my father and see what he say and my father went down there a couple of days after and he said ah oh, sure you can be going in there after school here, doing something for you anyway. so he started to make let me make soups and staples and a few things like that. To see. so he said, was getting on very well at her and he said oh god he said I think you'll make a good smith says he I kept the end. Anyway. still going to school. Next thing I start chewing houses, pulling off shoes off, big heavy houses, pulling off shoes off of them. He wouldn't let me nail them on. So he uh, said, God says, I think you'll be all right at this, does he? he says, you'll have a trailer than a young, a young man. So I kept paddling around. Anyway. When I come 14 and a half, I was leaving school. I admit mean, I almost finished.
2: Well, of course, again, when mixed time on my time and my father's time, or any other time. The board, the GAPL, a semi state body, have given them a course, an apprentice course, and they do six weeks a year training. They do two, year, two six weeks, comprised of about three weeks making shoes and different types of artwork, work, surgical shoes, and then they do a lot of anatomy. Uh, they're expected in their exams to be able to uh, dissect the foot and know the different ailments of a horse's foot and where they come from and how they're affected and one thing or another. (coughs) Sorry, I'm out of wind at the moment after the heavy (laughs) stretch. But uh, yes, they have an excellent good training. I mean, they've they've, uh, the people from the veterinary college, professors and one thing or another, spend quite a long time with them, teaching them and showing them and as I said, well, we never got that training? Mm. We didn't get to know too much about anatomy.
0: Well, has it made any difference, really? Oh, of course,
2: too? it has made a difference. I mean, what we were known as Billy the Blacksmith one time, now these men are farriers. And they're handling very expensive stock horses costing thousands of and thousands and thousands of pounds. And the people now realise that it's a vital part they play. So they're paid for the work.
7: I'm Jack Furlong, and uh, I'm 70 practically 76 years of age, and I've been a blacksmith and fire for 61 years, and I served my time to my father, who walked up to the age of 76 years, and he, in his time, served his time to an uncle, who established the business in the year 1881.
0: Were there many smiths in Bray in that time, Jack?
7: Oh, uh, well, I couldn't talk about how many were there in the granduncles time, but in my father's time there were six, and um, there were quite a number of horses. Of course, most of the transport was done by horses, all the farm work was done by horses, and deliveries, all that kind of thing, and uh, very few cars at the time. they were quite a novelty. So then uh, the cars began to appear and uh, in time the horse trade began to disappear and be affected and and I suppose about 20 years transport by horses had nearly disappeared so then there was very little work Uh, times were very depressed I'm speaking now about um, the 1920s 30s and that uh, just the aftermath of the, our troubles here, and civil war, and um, there was very little work of any kind. No building, no um, just a few horses to be shot, and um, just a very meagre kind of um, living. And then there were so many, it was very competitive, it was very hard to get any kind of a uh, rewarding price for your labour. And my father, during those years, he got the idea of forming a local association of smiths to organize and to try to establish uh, a rate of prices for hewing horses, ponies, donkeys, you know, and draft horses. <coughs> and uh, so the, 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 he um, organized these local men and they got chatting and talking. And then they try to um, fix a rate for their work.
0: I'd imagine that in your young day, Jack, the attitude as regards payment would be a sort of lax, would it be? Oh, very lax and very
7: um, unbusiness like, I might say, because there's very seldom cash payments. You had to keep a kind of a book and uh, prepare bills and go out and collect them. And sometimes you might be lucky, you might get paid, other times you might have to. Go a few times to be paid, but um, there was a lot involved. You see, and everything was very you know disorganised in a sense. That um, I think most a lot of the good deal of the Smiths that time weren't very good businessmen.
3: They were able to make everything. And they, of course, being associated with fire. Well, there had there was an old suspicion following them, and uh, people, the young lads, would come to the forge, and they'd see the bell is blowing, and they wouldn't come in, but they'd be uh, having their eyes wide open, looking in, and the idea of the forge blowing and the blacksmith turning red iron and all that, there was something that uh, the in the young people, miners, the young feller, child, that they were associated with the devil.
0: Mm. And they were supposed to have certain supernatural powers, weren't they?
3: Yes, there were. They had so, a lot of them had. You know, you had you had a lot of of um, in the old days. I don't know whether you have heard of them, but you had a lot of old pishogs and things like that. And uh, if uh, there was some smiths that had power over, if we were doing pishogs and me, and uh, the person that the pishogs were doing, would go to the blacksmith and tell him that tale, and he'd. He had a habit of of the suck of a plow, of the old plow, red in the fire, and he, if he had, if it was handed down to him, he could say some words over it that would bring the the person that was doing new harem, what the shows to the forge. So you know that was he was he, he was held as 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 as, as, as 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 the king of the the castle, right enough. He was, he was.
6: In the days back there. The farrier was rated as a, a vet. He he was always asked to do veterinary work. I remember I've seen it myself several times that um he'd have to dose horses and he would have to take warts of horses and it was several things like that. He was quoted as a, a vet type because there was very few horse vets that time. The only most there were cattle vets, and there wasn't as many vets now that specialises in horse work and different items of it. But that time there was only the one or two vets that was interested in horses, and they always w- worked along with the blacksmith and they tell him how to do this and that, and he was able to do it. Then it was I, several cures the farrier There was some great men that did specialise in this cures and things like that, and with ointments and, and all this type of stuff that they made up themselves for cure for ringworm and all this type of work. Did your own father have anything like that? He never went in for the ointments, but he always done the tough dosing horses and taking warts off horses, and I seen him doing for, uh, he had some stuff, I don't know what it was, for ringworm. And he'd do the lampus, which is a swelling on the gums of a horse, and he used to take that away with a hot iron. It crudely but it was a success.
0: Would you say that the older generation were uh,
6: great craftsmen? They were wonderful craftsmen. We'll never, you'll never get men like those now because, no matter what they ever went to do, they always had to make their own tools for to do the job they were going to do, and when the job was finished, you'd think that it was after coming out of a mould.
0: And you were telling me there that your father had a special way of shoeing a wheel.
6: Yes, he, they had their own idea. As you, They never used a ruler, they used to call it a thing called, it was a, it's like a... The only way I can compare it is a a wheel in the fork of a a bicycle. They used to call it a traveller. And that's how they could measure the wheel, down to the last eighth of an inch. There's many uh,
5: men still left around. One in particular, perhaps uh, one of our top craftsmen in the country today, is a man called Pat McDonough from Shrewle in County Galway. Pat, uh, a very good friend of mine and of the board's, uh, still to the present day makes all sorts of blacksmithing exercises in gates and, and railings and craft uh, uh, shoeing jobs of, of surgical shoes made from all sorts of, of different types of metals. And uh, the board have, in fact, displayed the surgical shoes that Pat McDonough has made at
7: Dublin Show. In my days of uh, walking at, as a farrier, around, uh, I should say... Uh Yes, 1930s. And uh, at that time, practically, the horse trade was very um, quiet and, uh, you know, very... uh, There was no future in it. I was rather old then to adapt to any other trade. I was about 22 or three, and I wondered what I could do. So I got the idea then of uh, making gates... And I knew nothing about making gates or what was involved or nothing like that. So um, I um, then got uh, went to Dublin to attend the technical schools in Bolton Street, who had, then had uh, classes in, in smith work, both general work and in the art iron work. And I was very fortunate in finding a man there, a wonderful one, the great craftsmen the country had. He worked at that time for J.C. McLaughlin's, who were very uh, um, high-class iron craft workers, and this was one of the top men. But uh, what I would like to say is that the, the distinction of the work he taught me to do, you see, with a lot of what is produced nowadays which is uh, termed wrought ironwork, and which I would, in my estimation, would, would just called bent ironwork, spot welded, without any design or any merit whatever. And they're generally positioned in very high-class shop windows and well-displayed in that, and uh, described as wrought ironwork, which is... Uh, misnomer. Now, wrought iron work is wrought. It's wrought by hand. It's hand forged, and and um, most of the work I do is also forge welded, which is quite entirely different from using an electric welder. You can't get the same symmetry, you can't get the same flow or design with. Uh, these um, electric welders and uh, you can just bend and just join and um, you can see all the uh, marks of the welding in that unless they're ground off.
5: It's a sad thing as one drives around the country to see so many forges run down, uh, disused, and that when one realises that they were the social centre of many rural areas uh, throughout the country for many, many years. Unfortunately, these forges are little more than areas where the farriers make their shoes, although we do hope that in the future that we can entice some work uh,
6: back into the forge. That was the one meeting place that was from Saturday or from Monday morning to till till late Saturday night that was the social centre. They have their social centres now but they'll never come up to the social centre that uh, the forge used to be because I used to see maybe 10 or 15 old men there and they'd be always in the way they'd never be a any help to you and bar when the haymen had come they'd be standing around and when the haymen I'd go over to the pub where they're bottled out the old men had help with the horse that's the only bit of help they were but otherwise they were always in your way and they were always telling stories and doing some villainy but they were great entertainment these old men I seen a fella
3: coming into a forge one day and he had a bad toothache and the blacksmith said to him to see I'll take that out, tool out for you so he got a bit of twine and he tied it around the tooth and he tied it to the anvil. And he blew the fires and all until he got the shoe real red. He popped the shoe out on the anvil and hit a few taps of the hammer and the spark flying around. The lad went back from the
1: spike, left the tooth hanging on the cord.
4: We had a missionary here one time, given a mission. He was from Mayo. Any divilment that ever started in the village originated in the forge. <laughs> and he says, I suppose this forge is the very same. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know what we are.
7: Going back to the Peanland days and that, made the pikes and made the tools of war, you see, and they, they uh, were very adaptable And Of course, their forges were the meeting places of the local... Historians and politicians and everybody uh, made the 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 forge almost a club. You see, the day there were very few clubs those times. You see, later days then clubs were organised by the various friendly societies, the foresters and the hibernians and various other organisations. But up to uh, oh uh, those times, the 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 forge was a great place for people going for a chat. You know, a great. uh, place for a joke or a hoax or a bit of fun.
5: I think that the the farrier will always be there. Uh, The reason I say this is that over the years, particularly in America, they've spent many hundreds of thousands of pounds on research into all sorts of things like plastic shoes, stick-on shoes and every conceivable type of shoe and so far uh, to the present time nothing but the handmade or machine-made iron shoe has been successful and uh, it will always require a craftsman and tradesman to nail the shoe onto the foot it's it's, uh, an absolutely individual job done by individuals and each foot is different to any other foot it therefore follows that the farrier has uh, a trade that can only uh, go from strength to strength. As long as there are horses, there will be farriers.
7: You know, he, he's probably the oldest known craftsman, and I think he'll be still required at the end of time because the smiths are still in use in big um, engineering industries, especially in shipbuilding. The smith has to shape. The uh, plates for the boats, that's that can't be done any other way. Only by heating and and uh, having somebody to shape it to the desired um, templates, and boiler makers who, which um, is also a branch of uh, uh, smith work, you see. So uh, I think there'll be always um, a need for them.